Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 88 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I am really excited to introduce you to today's guest. His name is Martin Dalland, and like probably 80 to 90% of you, he's trying to do something that the vast majority of pastors, for whatever reason, and there actually are reasons, never seem to be able to do, which is to sustainably grow a congregation past the 200 attendance mark. And like my guest last week, Josh Pizold, Martin is somebody that I have mentored for the last couple of years, actually in Martin's case, about four years, as he's navigated this transition. I met him before he was a lead pastor. He got appointed interim. Then all of a sudden he's a senior pastor. He's trying to get the church, you know, beyond 200 and stable and healthy. And, and then it almost burned him out. But you know what? He's done it. And we just get on a call, like a Skype call every month or two, and we just kind of talk through the issues. And so uh, Martin is going to share with you in a very practical way his journey and how now, even though his church is almost, I think, maybe double the size it was when we first met, he has more time with his family, more time with his wife, a healthier staff, a healthier team, and a healthier culture. Some bumps along the way, but man, he's done it in a culture where very few churches ever make it past 200. 200 is a mega church in Norway. And and Martin's just done a great job. And I think you'll know uh, just by listening to him for a few minutes what a great leader he is. So anyway, I'm, I'm excited about this and, and last week. And I'll tell you, you know, mentoring leaders, I get asked all the time, not quite every week, but sometimes it feels like every week or multiple times a week, I get asked, hey, can you mentor me? And man, I would love to say yes. But honestly, that's why I write a blog. If you've just been a podcast listener and you've never checked out the blog before, it's just my name, kerryneuhoff.com. And two or three times a week, I post fresh content and I hope it builds into you as a leader. And then, of course, I sit down and have these kinds of conversations that I hope, you know, can teach literally thousands of leaders each week. Uh, something that sometimes I can sit down and do one-on-one as well. So I hope it's really practical. Uh, I would love to say yes every time somebody asks, but um, man, I usually keep, you know, two or three slots open. And uh, right now, unfortunately, or fortunately, they're all filled, but, uh, you know, there are vacancies from time to time. And uh, I just hope that this really is a, a form of mentoring that helps you. I've got other ways I do that too. And one of them is actually through writing books. So my latest book, Lasting Impact, has an exciting new resource that just got released a couple weeks ago. It's the Lasting Impact Team Edition. And earlier this year, I shot eight professional quality videos that I hope can really help your team take these conversations seriously. You know, it's one thing to read a book and go, man, we need to have the conversation. It's another thing to sit down with your board or your staff or your key volunteers and then actually have the conversation. And that's what the team edition is designed to do. It's eight videos, one video on how to have a conversation without blowing your church apart. And then secondly, one video per chapter in the book. And the chapters cover issues like uh, personal and church health and uh, why people aren't attending church as often as they used to, or how to create a healthy volunteer culture, or why millennials are walking away from the church. All important conversations that will help your church grow. Um, But I actually tee it up for 20 or 25 minutes. You can just press play, uh, play that for your board, and then jump into the conversation. So hopefully that makes that easier, and it's a way of uh, getting into more churches without having to complete 
completely abandoned my family at a fraction of the cost of actually flying anybody in. So uh, you can get it. The team edition is just $79. You can get more information at lastingimpactbook.com. And you can actually just get the book too. And you can get bundle deals. So we put some together for you. Uh, Lastingimpactbook.com has all the information. And if you act now and buy the team edition and fill out the bonus form before May 31st, you'll get access to a private Facebook group that I will be frequenting from time to time over the summer as well. Uh, And you'll have the support of other people navigating the change. Also, if you happen to be in Australia, I'm there and would love to connect with you. I'm spending May in Australia. And this week, I start a five-city tour and would love to connect with you. So I'm going to be in Melbourne, Burwood, Sydney, Brisbane, and Adelaide between basically now, this week, and the end of the month. And you can get all the information at thinkorange.org.au. That's thinkorange.org.au. And if you're around, man, I would I would really, really love to connect. So with all that said, let's jump into my conversation with uh, another one of my heroes. This is Martin Dalland from Norway. Well, it's a lot of personal fun to have Martin Dalland on the podcast today. Martin, you and I met, what, almost four years ago now? No, three years ago. It was 2013, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when I was actually in Norway, my one and only time in Norway, working with church leaders, I, I spoke at a conference, and you got the unfortunate duty of having to escort me around. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, that was great fun. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was great, great fun. fun. I remember being on a train for a long, long time with you. Yeah, yeah. and the bus. And the bus, that's right, yeah. the bus and the train. <laughs> and then and then trying to figure out how quickly uh, Norwegian currency disappears. Everything's yeah. expensive in your country. It is, it is, really. Yeah. They say, we're, we're used to it because we live here, but, but um, it's expensive. It yeah, is. and so Martin and I really struck up a friendship that's continued over the last three years. And we usually do a Skype call once a month or so, don't we? Well, maybe every other month or that sort of thing. And your life has changed a lot since we met because you become a senior pastor. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, Martin, is I think the journey that you and I have narrated personally over the last three years is a journey that the vast majority of listeners are, are trying to navigate. Basically, you've done a successful job of taking over a position from someone else. You became the senior leader. You didn't start a church. You had to transition a church. Um, It wasn't easy at all. The church was under 200, about 180 people back in 2012, 2013, when you started to step into leadership. And uh, now you're seeing over 300 people on a Sunday morning. Uh, and so it's, it's, a, it's a very real story in the sense that that's where the vast majority of church leaders live, not in megachurch territory, not in like, oh, yeah, we launched 17 new campuses last month, you know. And, and you had to overcome a lot of obstacles. And what's really cool is you're doing it in a culture where uh, what pers- like a tiny fraction of the people actually attend church on a Sunday morning, right, Martin? Like it's yeah, so because small. the statistic says that 4.9% in Norway is active Christians. That means wow. that they go to church once a month. And um, yeah, that's 4. not much. 4.9% go to church once yeah. a month, which qualifies yeah. you as active. Yeah. Man, oh man. And, and you know, not a well-funded church. And trying to do it in a cultural context that's different 
than than the Bible Belt for sure. Which I know, I know we've got some international listeners, a lot of Australian, New Zealand, some Canadian listeners, some European listeners. But I think you know, if you're honestly, my good friend Josh Gagnon, who's in New England, I mean, he would feel the same way. It's like I might as well be in another country because all the stuff that works in the Bible Belt doesn't seem to work up here. And like Josh, you've navigated it with some success. So that's a little bit of background. But Martin, you know, one of the things I really enjoy, I just, I love hanging out with you. And uh, and it's great to be able to connect like this. And I'm thrilled that we get to have a conversation with sort of all the listeners today. Thank you. I'm I'm so thrilled that you that you take your time to talk with me once a month and and when we, because we, we, we met also again in, in uh, Atlanta. That's at right. The Orange Conference. And then you put your arm around me and you told me, Can, you need to call me on Skype. And then, then uh, that has been a real blessing for me and um, incredible. So I'm so thankful, Carrie, for what you have done for me and my ministry. Well, I don't know. I mean, I just share all my mistakes with you. And, you know, it's interesting because I get a lot of, you know, emails and, and messages, DMs from, people who are like, man, will you mentor me? Will you mentor me? First of all, I don't think I'm a very good mentor. Secondly, I can only do it for a small number of people, you know, and you've been the one guy I've probably been able to track with the longest over the last few years. And you did come to Atlanta, which is amazing, you know, and, uh, and have seen sort of how we do church on this side of the pond and uh, are trying to take a lot of the ideas, the best of the ideas, and translate them into a very different culture. So, Martin, tell us, and, and by the way, you have the best accent. It's just the coolest thing. Wow. <laughs> the Norwegian accent. Yep. And you speak English. It was fun speaking. Like I've spoken in Germany. I've spoken in Switzerland. I've spoken in Norway to church leaders. But what's nice in Norway is I could actually just speak English. And then there was like translation. What's that? I just said you're lucky that you can speak English in Norway. But, but thank you for mentioned my accent. I, I have warmed up in advance to speak English in my office, but it's <laughs> strange when no one no one's listening. So I never have a problem with we'll understanding you. No, you do great. So tell us, so you're you're a younger leader, you're in your thirties, and you're also navigating all of this while trying to raise a family, right? So tell us a bit yeah. about your family. Well I'm thirty four years mm. now and um, and I have a wife, and we and she is also thirty four and we have three kids it's medium it's six months, and we have Benjamin and that's five, and Samuel who is eight and um, yeah, so you're trying so, to raise a family you've got a newborn at home, an infant at home, and you're trying to transition a church and it's growing like crazy in your context that's a fun uh, recipe for no sleep yeah, and that's been what we have been talked a lot about, Kerry. Yeah. How to navigate my my family life and my family responsibility and the church responsibility for me. It's uh, the family is most important, and um, but at the same time, I can't be at home and thinking about work and be at work and thinking about home. So I need to find a good balance, and that's a continually struggle for me to find the the right balance and to. We were working really hard on that uh, a couple yeah. months ago when we were talking, right? Because you were getting almost, you, you were worried you were getting burnt out. Yeah, because we, I have, like the first two years of my, my job here in this church, it, um, it, um, I worked a lot, yep. 78, 70, 80 hours a week. And, and um, I can do that for a period, but for in the long term, it's, it's burning me out. So I needed to do some changes and um, we managed that. So, Well, and the burnout hit. It's interesting 
because it hit when your church was just passing that 200 barrier, mm. right? When you're starting to hit 200 consistently, total attendance and 250. And like, it's almost like there's no more hours in the day, right? So what are you going to do it as is. your church grows? No, it's difficult because the church, uh, we, we have been through some struggles in our church before I, before I started working. And we, mm. we, um, it took a, lot, took a lot of time for me. To to handle all things happened at the same time. So yeah, yeah. Let's let's go back to that. And I mean, we've all got stories as leaders. And you know, you did not plant this church. So let's rewind to 2012, 2013, and fill everybody in, sort of on how you became a leader, and um, and and the position you got put in, and some of the initial challenges you had because um, your church wasn't necessarily growing when you, when you took it over. It wasn't like it was inevitably going to be a church of 300, which again, in a Norwegian context is a very, very large church. I mean, there are very few churches in Europe that have over a hundred people, let alone 200 and certainly 300. And so take us back and tell us what it was like, how you got into leadership and some of your initial challenges. I've been working in the state for almost all my career, and then then with with children and and family issues, and then then we ta- took a sabbatical year in two thousand. When you say working for the state, you mean like for the government? For the government, yeah. And so uh, you weren't in ministry full time. No, no, I wasn't. Just volunteering, and then we we needed a break as a family, uh, and so we moved to Spain for a year to work awesome. volunteer in in um, in the church there. And during that year, I because uh, I've been grown up in the Lutheran state church mm-hmm. uh, with a Christian family and with all things that comes with that. And uh, when when we when I moved away to study in Oslo, um, I started to to go to a Pentecostal church called Philadelphia, Oslo, mm-hmm. and then and then I got some promptings from God to that, and then he he. Um, he showed me some things that I, that, um, for my future, that I couldn't believe. And because I've always been like a shy, quiet guy, my wife, Maria, that I've known since my seventh grade, she said that when I thought she didn't hear me speak uh, before I was 16 years. So, so uh, really? I've been a, you were I've so quiet. Sh- you were an introvert. Yeah. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm an introvert. And, and, uh, and so when, when, and God showed me and or prompted me with some things for my future, and I couldn't believe that it was um, going to be me because I, um, I always looked up for other preachers and to evangelists and and uh, had my role models. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when we moved to Spain, it was it was to to have a year that we we gave this year to God and to say that we wanted to have a year with a good family time. And we wanted to do something for Christ. Um, and during that year, uh, our church here challenged me to, when we get home, that I will take some responsibility in our church as a staff. And that okay. would be uh, children and family, responsibility for ch- the children and family work, and s- for some music, and also as a secretary to just fill up a 100% job. Mm. Um, so, so when we got back, I, I finished my work in the government, and then I started working at church. What I didn't know that when we were away that year, 
it has been developed um, a conflict in our church that between staff and the leading pastor and mm. our board and wow. uh, and I didn't know so so when I got back we I don't know what you call it in English but it was kind of like it was messy yeah, yeah okay uh, we'll call it messy Absolutely. yeah we can call it messy uh, and that was difficult uh, for me and and four months into my new job here I got the a change responsibility to have to take over this responsibility for the staff. That's right. So you started as children and family and then almost immediately in the midst of some conflict, again, in a, in a fairly small church, 180 yeah. by North American standards, you know, you got, you got pushed into a more senior leadership role. Yeah. Now, was I, that the lead pastor at that time or were you just sort of in charge of staff? I was just in charge of the staff and like the daily routines. Yeah. In church. So almost what we would call an executive pastor type role. Yeah, yeah, probably. So you're in this role, uh, and then and then tell us what happens next because you never thought you'd end up being the senior pastor of a of a local church. <laughs> no, because it's messy, and um, mm. after I think it's five six months, the the leading pastor is quitting. Wow, and then then we are without the leading pastor for a while, and I get the responsibility to do the, to continue with the leading of the staff and do the daily things. So and you become for, de facto like the interim pastor at that point. Yeah, yeah, wow. kind of. And um, for yeah, January in 2015, I was um, officially what do you say officially? Um, sure. Yeah, officially this the leading pastor of this church. So wow! It's, so you've been yeah. at it just over a year when we're recording yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Wow! And and through all that, you had to try to bring health. You you had to try to navigate conflict with the board. You you had to try to to rescue the the mission of the church. So like, tell me, Martin, like what what were some of the things you did in those early days that really helped? What what were some things that you did and. How did you handle the challenges that you were facing? Because mm-hmm. that's not, that's like, if you're going to become a lead pastor of a church, mm-hmm. that's not like a recipe of how to do it, right? Normally no. you would no, come it's not. in and, you know, that's not your dream. You don't dream like, oh, I hope I get into a horribly conflicted church and that there's this interim leadership period. And then by default, they make me the senior leader. Yeah, because Shan is, that, that's the city that I live in, is mm-hmm. a small city. We have like right. 53,000 people. Because my challenges is kind of like five five things. It's my own personal challenges mm-hmm. for me, uh, the staff that's been through a tough time, the yeah. congregation that also been through a really tough time, and also because this has implemented the domination that we were a part of, and also the challenges with other pastors in the city that knows everyone. So right. It's, so it's a small it's town context. Yeah, it's been challenges on some so many ways. Yeah, I've been to your town. It it is it's like a big village, right? It's yeah. not a major city. No. So so I needed to focus on myself and the staff. Uh, and also the congregation. That was kind of like the main things. But why uh, why did you start there? Let me just ask you cuz I think those are great instincts, but why did you say okay, I got to focus on myself, I got to focus on the staff? That's really interesting. Because if if I'm not in if I'm not okay, the staff will not be okay, and then the church will not be okay. And and I had some some I had so many questions about my my own role, my my God's plan for me. You know, you go all the way 
from top to bottom. What's, yeah. <laughs> what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning with miss with ministry? This is what not what I signed up for. So, so <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> there were so many things because because uh, to be a pastor in 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 a local church, it's a fa- it's a family thing. So this this uh, inflected my family, my wife. I slept bad. I I thought about the church all the time. Yeah, and uh, so it ha- it has a price, and for for us it had it had a we we came through it, but it had a price. So I I I was going to therapy and going like to talk with people and to sort it as for me because I needed to to have my internal life in balance. Yeah. Uh, before I could lead the, the staff uh, in a good way. And that is so wise. That is so wise to start there. And so many leaders, you know, that's a scary journey to look inside. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I talk about that in, in, as you know, Martin Lasting Impact, my last book. Like there's a whole chapter on healthy leaders produce healthy churches. And I think that was so smart for you to turn inside and to go, okay, this starts with me as a leader. And you went to counseling and you realized that, Hey, as much as you didn't create the conflict, that you could potentially make it worse yeah. if you didn't handle it right. Yeah. Wow. Okay, and then talk about the staff. So, what? Wh- how did you? How did you rally a staff after? And again, we're not going to get into all kind of details, but it wasn't like this little blip where it was just oh, a small conflict for a month and it went away. <laughs> this was some unhealth that had been festering for, for a while. while. It took what a year, year and a half to get through yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, before because- there was even a leadership change. Mm-hmm. It was. That's right. Because we needed to rebuild our team, right? Um, and uh, because I, I, um, I think that if we work good as a team, we can. We um, that's that's the most important that I do to mm. to build my team and to build confidence, to build trust, uh, to talk through what happened um, again and again and again, and um, to build trust and to. That we're building a culture that we that we could we can uh, we criticize each other we uh, say good things to each other we encourage each other but also but like the underline is that we the we want the best for each other uh, yeah. and that was a big big job and is that is that a culture change from the culture the staff was used to before I I don't think it was. Um, that that they have planned to do to to make the culture the opposite way, right? But the things that happened have made it that way. So mm. so big, and it comes with with different layers that we that um, uh, in surprising surprisingly things for me. Suddenly, I discover that wow, this is this has happened, or this I can uh, what do you say? I can. Uh, Hang this on something else. Yeah, yeah. So the issue that you, you take up is is not really the issue. The issue is something else. So gotcha. We need to talk about something else. Yeah. In other words, they're they're upset about A, but the issue isn't yeah. A. It's actually B. And you had to yeah. you had to figure that out as a leader. Yeah. And and so you were really engineering a personal shift and then a culture mm-hmm. shift at the same yeah. time. Wow. So you got you you built a climate of trust. Uh, now you listed five issues. Let's go through them. So there's personal, then there's staff culture. What else did you tackle to get? It's the congregation. Healthy? Yeah, because they we we like um, we have a congregation at the at the members level, and mm-hmm. then we we have also uh, how many attends our our weekly service. And right. at the members level, we are four hundred and fifty, mm-hmm. uh, and at the attendance we were around two hundred. But 
but it um, our biggest church meeting, and then it was over two hundred people attending. Right. Uh, so, and so by meeting our, you mean service, right? Church no, service. then I'm. Oh no, you mean like a congregational meeting? Congregational meeting. Because and you had so, over two hundred people show up at a congregational meeting. Yeah, that happens yeah. when there's conflict, doesn't? Doesn't it? Yeah. So many people were, were had, had their feelings uh, hurt, um, and uh, it was a lot of wounded people in the church. Uh, and at the same time, many people f- um, felt it was kind of like a fresh start. So it mm. was you had like both, uh, and you need to you need to handle both. Okay, don't don't glance over that. How did uh, you handle that? This is so huge because. I mean, in a lot of startups, there are no more congregational meetings. But I mean, the vast majority of our listeners have to deal with exactly what you're talking about. So as much as you can without, you know, you, you know, tell us, tell us what you can about how you sort of affirmed the hurt that was in there and dealt with it and then, and then got the congregation to see it as a, as a new beginning. Yeah. One, one thing that we did we was in the preaching that we'd go, mm-hmm. we went back to the to the basics, okay. to who we are, who we are in Christ, what the church is for, uh, and uh, to do the basic uh, for a long time uh, in our preaching. And then also we, we um, I had and the staff had a lot of talks with people one-to-one, right. to, like, to a lot of key people. And when we talked with key people, the key people talked with other people, and we we were like building trust. We had a uh, our church went every year. We go away for a week, and the whole church, yeah, uh, like a retreat, we, like a retreat. And then we we build uh, we build into people confident, and we listen, and we we understand understands their pain, understand their wounds, and then we we set the uh, we put our 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 arms around people hmm. and, um, and slowly and slowly try to, to lead uh, to the new direction. So when you sat down with like an upset member who hmm. was upset about all the conflict or maybe that there were going to be changes in your church, what, what, what would you say? What would you do? Would you, would you just listen? Would you try to redirect them? Like how did, how, how did you approach those conversations? Because obviously you had some success with that. When people come to me and uh, and are upset, mm-hmm. uh, I try to understand why they are upset, and if I understand, I can say I can say, uh, I understand you're upset, and I understand that this is not what you wanted, and I I totally understand. Uh, so what do we do about it? Because we we like when I um, we want to go now. We want to go to that direction, and, or and we, um, and we we um, we gave people time, mm-hmm. um, because I think time, time, uh, time is your friend, as Andy Stanley says. Time is your yeah. friend. Slow. The strange thing was that when we were in the middle, after this has ended, suddenly the peop, more people were attending the worship service, hmm. and all the the. Many of the not the elders, but the um, the elder of the church, not the elder of the church, the um, but just the uh, the older, older folks gen- who had older been there, yeah, the older yeah. folks, yeah. In our older generation, we had kind of like a mini revival wow. because a lot of a lot of key older people has um, 
got a new 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 fire for Christ and fire for the church and they are like moving ahead and they are taking new initiatives making new activities and and today they have been over 60 people downstairs uh, with a bible and coffee uh, and and when they because they are on fire about our church a lot of new people um a lot of new children and young families and they are kind of like they are also in the front uh, and that's a big big help and blessing for us as a staff you manage to see them as allies rather than enemies yeah, yeah. because they are not our enemies they are the some of the keys we have a lot of different kind of keys in our church and the older people is a big 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 key for us Wow. Because they have been, our church this year is 160 years old. Yeah. And uh, some of these, uh, I talked to a lady in our church, she has been a member in 82 years in our church. Wow. And she is one of our biggest, uh, can you say fans or yeah. supporters? So she thinks it's great. Yeah. She, yeah. Think that, that's the thing that blew me away in my time. And I've been there a few times in Europe to work with church leaders. But I remember standing in Germany. And I was standing in a church where Luther and Calvin met. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, you know, memory in Europe goes back far more. You know, I'm north of Toronto. I spent a lot of time in the U.S. I mean, we have a 200-year, 100-year memory. But, I mean, gosh, Norway goes back a 1,000 years, right? Yeah, yeah. And the church goes back a long, long time. I mean, to Luther. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay, so you you turned the older generation into allies rather than enemies by empathy. And then did you have a clear vision right away? Or you, you started to, you said you started to preach the basics, who we are in Christ, what is the purpose of the church, just some very basic rudimentary vision pieces. Do you think that helped them? I do. Um Many years ago, we or seven, eight years ago, we in our church we had a new vision and, and value uh, work where we stated a new vision and a new value. So, so we went to those basics. What do we want to do? Who are we? Uh, what are our values? What do we want to be known for? Um, and I think that's a key to when we preach that we preach unto um, the our key values. Great. So you didn't feel a need to change those values. You just wanted to lift them up and get the church back at them again. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. All right, take us through the other things. So there was the congregation, and that, that's very, very wise, the way you approach that. So uh, what were some of the other things you had to navigate? Because I, I was a new guy in our denomination. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I needed to find my role. And I was so afraid to be like the bad guy. That's uh, making all the mess and and getting all the blame. So I used also some time to 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 work with our denomination about uh, um, what happened, what we wanted to do, what we how how things will be forward. And, right. But that was not such a big so 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 a big job for us. But I I was a, a period a bit afraid for the other pastors in our city. Mm-hmm. But I figured out that they are good guys, and oh, we, you didn't know whether they would accept you no. or not. So, but we meet. Uh, I think it's two, two, three times per semester, and that's that's uh, a real blessing for for us to right. be. And you didn't come through the traditional route either, where you went straight into seminary out of high school and 
You know, you didn't do any of that. You came from the business sector. Yeah. Wow. So, so you're leading up, leading across. Yeah. And then, uh, and then was there a fifth, Martin, you talked about? Yeah, that was the fifth, the domination yeah. challenge and the challenge with other pastors. Oh, that's it. The other pastors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Let's, let's talk a little bit about balancing your time. Let's talk a little bit about the burnout that, that you, you almost went through a couple of different times and how you navigated that. I know before we started recording, you were talking, you and I had a couple of sessions a few months ago where we just walked through like calendaring and so on. And you're, you're in that beautiful space where you're actually working less and your church has never been larger ever. Explain how that happened. Because most people are like, what does that actually happen? How does that happen? Yeah, that's a big struggle, and it's not easy no. uh, at all. But uh, I said that when I started, the first two years, I, I worked 70 to 80 hours, and yeah. that's, I cannot do that for a long period but, uh, because it's not good for me, it's not good for my family. Mm-hmm. And um, while our church was growing, our church has always been like a pastor-centered church where everyone knows the pastor, yes. and the pastor knows everyone, he goes on every, uh, he do all the pastoral care. Mm-hmm. And so what, one of the things that I did was that I said, I will not do pastoral care. I remember that uh, conversation yeah. you and I had. And that's, yeah. a, that's a tough one. So how yeah, did that go? No, <laughs> uh, I, have, I do some pastoral care because I, we deliver like flowers every Christmas for a lot of people. Okay. And this year I delivered two. Wow. So I, I do some, and I do some funerals, but not, not many. And I do some uh, house visits, but not many. Uh, because we, we, uh, I have uh, given that away to another staff. Wow. And he, he has a team of volunteers under him that do all the uh, visits to the hospitals and, and uh, yeah, for, the, for the older generation. At the same time, we have been working a lot with our small groups, Mm-hmm. to do the pastoral care in the small groups. And that's a cultural change that we are in the middle of. So I yeah. hope it will be okay, but, um, but it's a struggle. And it's... Um, Who's it a have... struggle for? Is it a struggle for you? Do you ever feel guilty? Yeah, of course. I feel huh. guilty all the time to say no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so it's mainly a conflict for me because I want to do good for everyone. But if I do good for everyone, I can't do what the church wants me to do, to right. prepare preaching and to lead the staff and to yeah to do all those things. So, um, and they want me to be here long term, right? And then, and then I needed to change my my calendar. So I say no to a lot of things, um, and that's hard for me. Uh, of course, it's also hard for those who get the no. Yeah, let's walk through that. How to like? Have you had? angry emails or difficult conversations where people said, man, I was in the hospital and you just let me down, like you didn't come and visit me? Or do people kind of understand, hey, our church is growing, you can't do this for everyone? How, how has that gone, Martin? The main majority of our church understands that. Yeah. Because we, we talk a lot about it, that we, we grow, we need to do the pastoral care in our small groups, and we explain why. Mm. Uh, why it's better to do it in the small groups than to to uh, to get me on a hospital, and I needed to change uh, to to be sure that I have the right name before I get into the room. <laughs> yeah, and um, I'm familiar with and, that. Do you actually yeah, attend so, our church? Yeah, yeah. 
And also because we have we have a lot of new people in our church, uh, and we are right now we are we are uh, building up a welcome group. Okay, that welcomes new people. They are we we all our members in our church has a responsibility to say hi to new people, but we have like dedicated people who does that every sure. Sunday. So that I like that. It's a greeting team, but everybody is responsible for being yeah. welcoming. Good yeah. idea. Okay, so keep going. So you got a welcoming team, and most people are accepting the change when it comes to pastoral care. Yeah, they do. Well, that's good. And have you had some like nasty people? So much, but good I had you. some. Yeah, that's. I'm surprised, <laughs> but because <laughs> uh, I'm surprised, but but it it has been it has been uh, not so much noise about that. So I think maybe maybe it's just me, because I'm a I'm a kind, good guy who wants the best for everyone, and I won't disappoint anyone. And then maybe I'm I'm making a bigger problem than it really is. I don't know, or maybe my congregation is really really kind. But I don't think that's true because I think that that when you see our church on a Sunday morning, you understand that the pastor can't go to visit everyone. The pastor can't, uh, I can't know everyone in our Mm -hmm. church Mm -hmm. uh, because it's obvious. It's interesting how fear holds us back, you know, and I think you're drilling down on something where you were afraid to make that change. And obviously you had the courage to make it. But often, often I think, Martin, what you're drilling at, which is so good, is, is that we're more afraid than we need to be or we're afraid of the wrong things, right? Yeah. We're, we're afraid of disappointing people, but maybe we should be afraid of not reaching people. And because you were willing to navigate that and the congregation didn't flip out, you know, now, now you're seeing over 300 people. And again, back to that book, I know I've shared it with you. I've shared it with listeners. I've shared it on my blog over and over and over again. But How to Break Church Growth Barriers by Carl yeah. George and Warren Bird. I mean, their argument, which I think to this day stands up, is that you cannot do personal pastoral care in a church of more than 200 people if you're the lead pastor. That uh, eventually... If you're gonna if you're gonna do it for everybody, your church is gonna stay small because you mm. just don't have enough hours in the day. Or if you move past 200 to 300 and beyond sustainably, uh, then there are gonna be then you can't do it. You've got to delegate, and I think groups is the most scalable model that we've yeah. got. That's so good. We have also worked a lot with our our elders, our board, uh, not to micromanage the staff. Yes. Uh, and to work with vision, strategy, and and a mission uh, in the board, and that the staff do the staff things, and uh, that also been a, a culture change uh, for us, and, uh, and something we work on continually. That the staff do the staff things, and uh, the elders don't micromanage, uh, and that's also been a key, I think, to to can you say free up the the. Um, and to give responsibility for the staff to lead right. and to do what the staff needs to do so the board doesn't get like a bump in the road. Um, That's really interesting because, you know, that was another thing we worked on in our in our monthly calls was uh, getting your board because... That's an issue now. It's going to be even more of an issue when you're 400, 500 people. But the board had to be, and this is, this is what's so interesting to me, Martin, the board had to be activist because, I mean, you moved in after a period of conflict. Like if the board, the board is in the weeds, they are, they are down on all the details about the conflict with the last pastor, the transition, 
making you the leader, making you the interim leader, then making you the leader. And so it's amazing to me that you've been able to transition them so quickly to a place where they're like, no, now we're going to focus on the 20, 30,000 foot view and we're going to give you the authority to lead and the staff the authority to lead. That's pretty cool. Has it been hard or easier than you thought? It's been easier than I thought as well. Hmm. Because uh, a lot of the members of the board are not interested in what color we have on the roll-up <laughs> yeah. or, or, or on the page. Uh, they uh-huh. are interested to, to get, our, get the church moving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you've got some, some good visionary type leaders. Yeah. And, uh, and how have you done it? Like, what Did you just have one meeting where you said, hey, folks, we just got to stop looking at the details and we got to start... You know, please give me the authority to lead and I'll be accountable to you. How did you do that? This has been developed over time. Okay. And that we have in our board meetings, we have discussed is this a thing for the board or this is this for the staff? And we have been um, talking a lot about it. Then in a, in we had a meeting, uh, a weekend with our, with our board. Uh, and then uh, I had prepared like a, a systematically document that I copied from you, actually. Okay. Um, Good. Uh, I'm glad. About, about the staff and board culture in our, in our church. Oh, the staff. Uh, was that the uh, push-down decision-making document? Yes, push-down yeah. decision-making. Okay, and I'll link we, to that in the show notes, by the way. It's a Conexus document, and uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put the PDF in the show notes. Yeah, and we, we walked through that several times, and we agree that that's the way we want to do it. And when we have like a document in our in the bottom, it's much easier. Good. Uh, because everyone agree, of course, it needs to be like that. Because we grow and we can't micromanage everything. That we, we won't do it either because we have confidence in you that uh, that the staff does what the staff needs to do. I just so, I just want to stop and call an audible here. Like for all the leaders who are listening who are part of small churches, I hope you don't underestimate what Martin uh, what God has done through Martin, but what Martin's been able to accomplish in his leadership, the two biggest hurdles that keep a church small are looking to the pastor to do everything, including pastoral care, and then um, getting a board to stop micromanaging. And the fact that you've navigated this, this is kind of like, you know, you are now on the open highway and we'll see how many people you can reach and there will be, you know, barriers in the future. Uh, Martin, can we talk a little bit about how you've restructured your time from being the guy yep. who visited everybody to like, you were, you were running into a very practical problem, which mm. is your sermons uh, mm. were starting to happen on a Friday or a Saturday because you were out of time, right? And then, and then you totally rebooted how you did your time. Yeah, my, my, my preachings are finished uh, at last on a Thursday. Wow, at the latest. So latest, latest. they're done on Thursday. You've got two and a half clear days to Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I have. And I take my whole day on Saturday off. I do not do any church work on Saturday at all. Now, a year ago, that was not true. No. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Let's talk about that. How did, because we, we did a couple of calls where we just worked really hard on your schedule. So let's let's talk about how you've made that transition and what shifted. The shift was that I needed to have some a lot of open spaces in my calendar. And I have uh, Wednesday is an open day for me. Wow. Friday is an open day and Monday is kind of like my day off, but but I I I need to do a lot of things on Monday uh, at home. 
right uh, to to be to have my head on the right spot on on Tuesday morning and on Tuesday morning we have uh, I have a meeting with the staff and I meet uh, one to one with with uh, with some uh, staff members mm-hmm. and on Thursday we I normally also uh, I do my preparations finished and and then I have some meetings on the evening because I worked like three four evenings in a week yeah. And, and I said to my wife Maria that I that's too much, uh, and yeah, yeah, she said it. It's too mm-hmm. much, and and so I work maximum two week, no, two evenings in a week. Wow! So you work two evenings a week. You've got a day and a half of meetings. Your sermon prep then happens Wednesday and Thursday. Am I am I yeah. right on that? Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Okay, so you do a little bit of work on Monday, mm-hmm. but you're yeah. mostly at home trying to yeah. what get grocery shopping done and yeah. You know, clean my house and clean your house, yeah. <laughs> all those things. And then <laughs> Saturday things. is just a no ministry zone. Yeah. So that's a family day because mm-hmm. our children is no, is not in kindergarten and not in school. So we, we, uh, Saturday is, uh, the holy day for me to be with my family. Wow. Yeah. And then, and then you kind of head into Sunday fresh. Yeah. yeah. I come really early on Sunday. We, our service starts at, at 11. Right. And I'm and not really early. I'm here like between eight and eight thirty uh, in the morning on Sunday. But relatively speaking, yeah. that's fairly yeah. early. And again, you're not trying to finish your sermon. It's already done. No, no, it's already yeah. done. Wow. Sometimes when because this is kind of like the plan, right? Uh, and uh, sometimes the plan doesn't work. And, We've all uh, been but there. I think mm-hmm. eighty and ninety percent of the weeks it goes like this. And that's been that's been a recent adjustment for you like you can measure it in months and it's brought a lot of freedom how did you navigate that so basically one of the things we talked about was moving to a fixed schedule i've written a lot about that i'll I'll link to that in the show notes it's something that i did six or seven years ago and when we talked uh you're like okay that's what i need but but the thing that i love about you martin is you actually did it like all these things you've actually done as opposed to people who are like you know one day um what was the hardest thing about moving to a fixed schedule where you just decided, I'm not going to meet with this person. I'm only going to be out two nights a week. Saturday is sacred. Uh, Monday is a day where I'll write and get a bunch of stuff done. And I'm only doing meetings on Tuesday and Thursday. How, what was the hardest part of making that transition? If you want me to be honest, I the do. hardest thing was that I didn't want people to think that I worked, that I didn't work too much. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. We have all been there. You want you want you don't want to be seen as lazy. You want people oh. to think that you are working super hard. Yeah, and I I work super hard, but I work super hard when I'm working, and when I'm off, I try to be off, and and it's not easy, and uh, I fail again and again, but I I really really try to to have my uh, to have a fix scheduled. Uh, uh, so my, I, yeah, so people need to wait to meet me. I say no a lot. Um, and it's, it's been a good, really, really good thing for me. Yeah. Uh, because I know what, um, when I have time to my kids and to my wife, things are doing better in ministry. Mm. You're and a healthier the, the church, leader, right? Yeah. The, and the church wants me to be a healthy leader. And then I need to take the responsibility to say no. Right. And to to clear my schedule. And again, if people are cared for in groups, if mm-hmm. your staff are leading their volunteer teams, 
Yep. There's way less need for you to meet one-on-one with people again, because it's not scalable. So have you gotten like, again, we're talking honestly, have people mm-hmm. given you pushback on your new calendar? Are they saying, Hey, you used to work hard, but now you're lazy. I mean, have you gotten no. any of that? No, no, because, because I think again, almost all these struggles in, is in my own head. <laughs> uh, and, so uh, true. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I think that people talk about it and I think that they like are angry or uh, he uh, yeah, he does a lazy job and but but that's only in my head. Because people see the church is growing, we have hired some new people and I have uh, given res- a lot of my responsibility over to other leaders and they take the leader uh, responsibility and the funny thing is that i see that even if they don't do it as the, as i would have done it they probably do it better than i would so um, and they're growing and yeah so it's uh, it's a good thing this is so good this is so helpful and it's no surprise i mean you you think about this your church you've only been really uh, a full year and a bit into your leadership the church has almost doubled in size under your leadership and you've just, like I said, you've cleared all the obstacles and now, you know, you're on the freeway and you'll see how many people you can reach, which is, which is amazing. Um, let's talk just for a moment. Anything else you want to share on sort of the transition? Because then I want to ask you one more question before we wrap up, Martin. Um, anything else about the, the, the changes that you've had to make to get your church past the, the almost unbreakable 200 barrier? Probably a lot of things, but um, yeah. if you have... If you have more questions, we can take that. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, because you're in Norway, all right? Mm. Now, Norway's a beautiful country. It's fascinating. Lots of uh, people feel an affinity to Canada. And those of you who are listening in Minnesota, man, lots of Norwegians there, lots of Lutherans, so on and so forth. But, I mean, you study Orange, uh, an organization we're both huge fans of. Uh, you can go to whatisorange.org for more information there. You study Andy Stanley. You study the church models in America. And then you try to bring some changes back to Norway. What translates and what doesn't translate for you <laughs> into Norwegian culture? <laughs> it's difficult to answer, but yeah. uh, I think um, we have we uh, we get inspired from Orange, from Willow Creek, from North Point. We have used yes, the Deep and Wide book from Andy Stanley to mm-hmm. to uh, to rebuild our worship service. So I think Deep and Wide is uh, is adaptable. For for a Norwegian um, um, yeah, culture, I think really. Wow. Um, That's and cool. we 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 talk in series. Right. So your sermons are done in series now. Uh, that's a new thing, uh, and we we use um, we use a lot of energy and time on our worship service mm-hmm. to make that a good good experience for both for church people and for unchurch people. And we have a way, a long way to go to be mm-hmm. to be where we want to be. But I think we are in a good spot right now. You're starting to move, and, and that's why you've seen your kids' ministry mm-hmm. explode and young families start to attend, yeah. and and so on. Um, and our, our, because our children' ministry is directly inspired from Promised Land in Willow Creek. Yes. So, so we have used a lot of material from there. We have translated it and uh, and uh, use use uses it. In our church. The Willow Creek Association continues to do great work, but I mean, they're one of the few bodies in Europe that is able to get people from different denominations together. I have so much. It was under Willow Creek, actually, that I was in Europe both times, 
And uh, they have done an unbelievable job of like pulling people together, uh, which is great. The Global Leadership Summit in Germany is always so huge. And uh, man, they do, they do exceptional work in Europe. So you're like me, you've found a lot of it actually translates, doesn't it? Yes, but we also need to, to uh, translate something mm-hmm. into our culture because the Norwegian culture is, is different than so the American. Give me an example. What are one or two things you're translating? We have had a state church like for a thousand years that ended 2012. Uh, 75% of the Norwegian population is a member of the state Lutheran church. So we have wow. a, a strong Lutheran tradition. Uh, and did, did you hear what he just said? He said a thousand year state church that ended in 2012. That's nuts, 2012. That's crazy. So it's no longer funded by the taxpayer, in other words, right? Yeah, it is, but they are developing a new new system. But but the yeah, the yeah, it's not a state church anymore. And you have never led a state church. Your church is a free church, correct? Yeah, it's a free church. So, in other words, yeah. people already give to the state church through their taxes, and then they have to give to your church if they attend it independently. Yes. Yeah. Think about so that, North that, American church. Yeah, so that's a big different dif- mm-hmm. difference. I think, and um, and I think also that no, I I no, don't know if this is true, Kerry, but I think Norwegian thinks difference different than uh, than the average American. Tell me how. How do you think they think differently? Because as we see it, we think that Americans they are they have you have a lot they have a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We are five point three million people in whole Norway. Right. So we so, and everything is bigger. In America, um, and um, and I don't know, but the the culture is different, right? We maybe we are more. I think that the 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 Christian faith has a different place in or or uh, in Norway than in America. I, okay. that's something I just assume uh, because we are very secular in Norway. Yes, um, we. Um, uh, few people attend church. Few people uh, have heard about <laughs> have actually over the have actually heard about Christ and what He has done. Like, like the basics, hmm. it's uh, it's been a major shift in Norway. The last they don't know who 20, Jesus is. No, not really. And it's been a major shift the last twenty thirty years. Wow. Uh, and the church uh, people think that church is I- irrelevant um, in Norway. Uh, yeah. We have like nothing to offer, uh, and we are like the dark guys that comes with the darkness and the bad news. Mm. Uh, so it's um, we we've had some some difficult things. I can only yeah. imagine. Well, yeah. Martin, this has been fascinating. I know you've helped a lot of leaders today. Hey, uh, if people want to hear more about your church, we'll link to it. But where can they find you online? <laughs> you know, I don't have a blog or yeah. a homepage, or or uh, uh, so I just have my Facebook account. And awesome! You can add me as a friend. You okay. just uh, type in my name, and then you find me. So it's Martin Daland, D A L A N D. Yeah. In Norway, in right? Norway. And yeah. and it's pronounced Shane, but isn't it spelled S K E I N? Yeah, so right. we would say Skyen or Skein. Skyen, yeah. Skyen, but you but say Shane. You say Shane. You say it a lot better than I do. 
Martin, man, you have no idea how many people you helped today. Thank you so, so much. And I just counted a privilege to consider you a friend and uh, to have you as a friend and just love being able to do this leadership together, man. Thank you, Gary. Man, I love that. Do you know only 5% of the population in Norway attends church? And, you know, his church has almost doubled. He's got it sustainably past the 200 barrier. And if you want more information, you can just get some of the tips in the show notes. Uh, just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 88. Hey, next week, I am back with Brian Houston, the founder of Hillsong. We had a fascinating conversation face-to-face uh, in Toronto when he was here recently. And uh, man, I'll tell you, it was, it was a great conversation. And I basically survey four decades of his leadership and talk about what's defined him as a leader and as a pastor. Just a great conversation. You won't miss it if you subscribe. And you can do that for free by going to iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and hit the big old subscribe button. Thank you to everybody who leaves ratings and reviews. You guys are fantastic. Thank you so much. You make this journey so much more fun. And I'm back next Tuesday with Brian Houston, which will be fun. In the meantime, I hope this time today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.